Legend, Father Robertson, says that when a McGrief murders a blood relation, the latter does not die but turns into a vampire. I am Rod Barnett, and with me today to cover an Antonio Margariti film is Adrian Smith. How you doing, Doc? Hey, hello, <laughs> Doc. It just makes me think of Bugs Bunny. Yes, uh, I am great, thank you. Um, it's The sun is out, and uh, life feels like it might return to normal one day. And um, yeah, it's really good. Thank you. How are you? I'm pretty good. I, I agree with you. It does seem as if the light is now visible at the end of the tunnel, and things are on the verge. So it, it, it's it's feeling it's feeling very positive in a lot of different ways that uh, it wasn't this time last year, mm. where we were all distracting ourselves as madly as possible. <laughs> but uh, tonight, uh, uh, or or whatever time of the day it is when you're actually listening to this show, I never think you know I never think about when people listen to these podcasts because mm. I know when I listen to them, which is when I'm at work trying to distract myself from the fact that I'm at work. Uh, this this episode will be the first time that I've revisited a film on the podcast, and I'm doing it because you, having taken over the reins here on the bloody pit of covering the Antonio Margariti films, you requested covering Seven Deaths in a Cat's Eye because you've not gotten to talk about it yet, and I completely understand that because Seven Deaths in a Cat's Eye from 1973... Is uh, it's it's a it's a favorite of Margariti fans in general, and it's a it's it's an exceptional film, and it's very very interesting, and there's a lot to talk about with it because it uh, it's a strange combination of elements. When did you first see Seven Deaths in a Cat's Eye? Um, this morning. <laughs> <laughs> you son of a bitch! You. Uh, I uh, this, you, you, I don't like you anymore. I've told you, yeah, as I've said, I've confessed to before, I am really playing catch up with um, Italian genre cinema. And I did actually buy the Blu-ray of this probably three or four years ago now, which is really shocking. <laughs> so it's been sitting in my cupboard next to all my other films that I haven't watched yet. And uh -huh. um, I've been putting it off and putting it off because I'm, I've got this blog and I wanted to save it until I'd got time to write about it on the blog and other things keep happening and you know it just it just never happened but it's been sitting there the cat's eyes have been giving me death stares uh, reminding me that i should watch this but so doing this with you has been a good reason to finally actually watch it so yeah i finished it today 
Well, believe me, you would not be the first person on this podcast, myself included, to use the fact that you're going to have to talk about a film to pull the pla- pull the plastic off of a DVD or Blu-ray for the first time. So, mm-hmm. yes, yes, I, I understand. Now, this is interesting. Um, I have to admit, I also picked up the British Blu-ray of this a few months ago because uh, it has commentary track on it, has a few extras. I still have the old Blue Underground Region 1 DVD, and I have to say that um, the, the the film looks a little too dark in oh, the really? dark scenes on the 88 film's uh, mm. British Blu-ray. I, ha- I have to admit that uh, it looked uh, it looked a little brighter and a little more easy to, easy to discern elements within darker scenes on the old Blue Underground Blu-ray. Now, I don't know how, mm. you know, we may never know how, how much that... Um, lines up with the appropriate way in which the uh, cinematographer and the director wanted the film to be presented. But I kind of suspect that the film probably should have been a little bit lighter in the dark scenes. Okay. The, all, all the well-lit scenes still look fantastic, which mm-hmm. is a good thing considering the amount of attention to detail there is in this movie with uh, colored gels and uh, you know different primary colors being used to, uh, to light certain scenes in people's faces. But yeah. the... Um, the, what, what I think is hysterical is that uh, just er, uh, just last week, uh, Seven Deaths in a Cat's Eye was announced to come out on Blu-ray over here in the States, mm. finally, for the first time. So it, all it uh, took... Is it Kino? No, no, no. It's, a, it's a very niche... It's a very niche uh, company... Uh, yeah, uh, it, it's a it's a very it's a small label uh, connected to uh, f- uh, film score. Uh, it's uh, Tarnation. What is the name of the, the label? <laughs> it, it, it's uh, Twilight Time. I'm sorry, it's Twilight Time. Oh, it's My, Twilight Time. Okay, they, yeah, so they do soundtracks normally, don't they? And, yeah, but they also release uh, uh, yeah. uh, movies, and they've they've kind of started focusing a little bit more sharply on kind of odd genre stuff. Uh, so they're bringing out Seven Deaths in a Cat's Eye on Blu-ray. They're porting over Troy Howarth's commentary track from the 88 Films Blu-ray. Uh, and that seems to really be the only extra. And I'm, I'm here's the thing. I'm curious enough, and I like the film enough, to rebuy it on Blu-ray, except I, I just want to make sure that that it lo- that the the dark problem that darkness mm-hmm. in the in the in the in the less well lit scenes has been rectified or is different. Otherwise, I'll just keep the British Blu-ray because yeah. you know other than that, it looks fine. So you'd have and, to find uh, out whether it's a new scan or if they're just porting over the same one. Cause yeah, they, yeah, yeah. Because uh, eighty-eight exactly. claimed to have have a new two K restoration from the original camera negative, and like you said, it looks fabulous most of the time. Mm-hmm. But yeah, when in some of the darker scenes, I did have to close my curtains because I just couldn't see anything that was happening on the telly uh, at all when I was watching this morning. I think the sun was bright outside and I was staring at the TV and yeah, I had to shut the curtains to work out what was going on. Yeah, yeah, that's that's not true of the uh, the old DVD, and oh, okay. so it makes me think that it makes me think that uh, that may be a uh, that may be a problem, and I'd hate to think that uh, this movie would get short shrift from, from a new viewer because of uh, because of something that's really kind of a technical screw mm. up. I so. mean, I did I did just wonder whether it was supposed to be dark, but obviously not having seen the other one, because I did think about the old day for night thing when you see Hammer films, when people mm-hmm. are walking around a graveyard at night, it's actually like full daylight, and they've just <laughs> made it look a bit blue, and you're supposed to believe that it's nighttime. Day yeah, they, night. just put a, they just put a blue filter yeah. over the day NHL. for night usually doesn't look very good and i was i was watching this thinking oh good old margariti he's just 
gone out and shot it at night and doesn't it and it looks good but then i was thinking actually i can't quite see what's <laughs> what's going on <laughs> so yeah that's interesting but uh but yeah let's not put people off because if without despite that it does it still oh, looks yeah. great um and if you yeah if you really just turn all the lights off in your room maybe you'll be okay <laughs> what i did was was crank up the uh brightness on my television screen right. and that seemed to take care of the problem pretty effectively. But, um, <clears throat> but now, my, that you've my seen, favorite, now that you've I'm seen sorry. this movie... Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, please I go was going to say, you spoke about the extras on the Blu-ray. My favorite extra is the interview with Eduardo Margariti, who's yes. Antonio's son, and that was great. I'd, I've seen him speak before on a couple of other Blu-ray extras, um, and uh, it was really nice to hear him talk about his dad, and particularly his dad's friendship with Mario Bava. Like everyone seems to think that, and I think we've talked about this before about Bava and Margariti being sworn rivals. And, and I think, and Tim Lucas kind of talks about that in his book, but according to, uh, to Eduardo, they were friends. <laughs> so and I thought of course, that, when you, that was yeah, nice. When you think about it, well, you know, as, as, as Eduardo says, you know, very clearly, it's like, what well, what would have been the point? I mean, there's no, they would have had, you know, the, the, what would have been the point of the two of them being antagonistic toward each other, and and having that uh, having that bit of information certainly certainly is uh, kind of interesting. I have mm-hmm. to admit, yeah. Well, now you've now seen this movie for the first time. Yeah. Um, did were you aware of the fact that it was kind of a bizarre combination of gothic and giallo before you went in? Yeah, I mean, so I, obviously the the whole having a cat in the title is the is and the number and things that they've obviously gone for a jallo type of marketing with that with that title yeah um although the italian title doesn't say seven deaths in the cat's eye uh or cat's Ooh, what is the what is the italian what's it's the just, italian title well the title the direct translation is um the death in the eyes of the cat hmm. so you could just say death in a cat death in the cat's eye or death in the cat's eyes, something like yeah, death in the cat's eyes would be the more literal. There's no seven in the original title, so that's crept in later, perhaps in America when the, or what you know, English language territories to try and make it feel like a jello. They added the number in there as well to yeah, yeah, know, yeah, add or to more. you know to give the impression of a high body yeah. count maybe yeah, like know. it's a so that's I thought that was a little a bit of extra interesting detail that they've added there but but yeah so i knew it was set in this castle um i knew it was a kind of gothic giallo i wasn't expecting a gorilla <laughs> which they a, keep referring to as an orangutan I know, which drives me so, nuts. so i watched this with in italian with the english subtitles so in the the subtitles and in the dialogue they keep saying orangutan do they say that in the? Did you watch it with English or in Italian? I, I watched it with the English dub. And do they uh, say the, they say orangutan in that as well? Yes. That's so weird because it doesn't look like any orangutan I've ever seen. And I no, have, it's I have clearly a man, it's clearly a man in a gorilla suit. Yeah, so yeah. that's that's why he's so furious because he's been glued into this suit, locked in a cage. <laughs> um, when he was and tossed a razor blade. No. Yeah, yeah. I mean that whole gorilla thing was. Uh, I, you know, I did start to wonder whether Margariti was just developing a thing for simians, obviously having <laughs> recently had a simian in a, in a previous film. 
Uh, yes, I will we'll not talk about <laughs> such invisible beasties. Uh, but <laughs> I, I wish. Sorry, you sorry I wished, bastard. I wish this one was invisible. I mean, well, there is a it, reason for this. For the, there is a very <laughs> clever reason in the plot mm. to have this uh, man-sized ape in mm. in there. Uh, they do use it effectively as part of uh, part of the plot, which I thought was interesting. Which was which is the yeah. whole idea of uh, once there at one point there is the need to uh, to uh, hide the fact that someone has been killed somewhere, and so. By getting rid of the, getting rid of the human body and substituting the now dead gorilla body, it explains the blood on the floor, yeah. which I think is pretty pretty clever. But it does make one think that there there just seems to have been, uh, uh, and it's not the only element either. It just seems like somebody read you know Edgar Allan Poe's Murder in the Rue Morgue, and 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 gone. You know what this movie needs well, is a gorilla. That also made because there are, there are definite Poe connections, and it wasn't, I think, wasn't it around this time that Margariti revisited Castle of Blood? So he's yes, he's Web of a, the Spider a, few, a couple yeah. of years earlier. Yeah. So um, Poe is clearly not far from his thoughts, which made me wonder why they went for the cutest, fluffiest cat when the obvious <laughs> choice would have been a black cat. Well, I would. It has to have been the idea that we want to go in a different direction. Uh, you you want it to for uh, two two things. One, uh, I would think that uh, you want a different colored cat for 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 specific specifically two reasons. One, when the cat is in a dark room, we want it to have color contrast because this is a very bright movie. This is a, there's a lot of color in this film. Yeah, when you when you get to the to the daylight lighting, so we a black cat would you, you'd be in danger, especially with the, especially the lighting with that, and the cinematography, yeah. for it to blend into shadow too too effectively, and not give you what you're looking for. And this seems to be a very well trained cat. How you train a cat, I don't know, but I would love mm. to know the secret. I think but they the, just uh, they just throw it around. They just chuck it at the coffin. But, just, but there are too many times when a, we see cat the cat walk, walk into. <laughs> We see we we see the cat walk into the scene, sit down on a pillow, and then look in a particular direction. It's like, how, did they have to shoot that like five hundred times to get exactly what they wanted? Is that is that uh, that's no. the only thing that makes any sense to me? Yeah, it's just, it's got a trainer with a with a can of tuna just off uh, <laughs> just off camera. But <laughs> that makes sense, and they're probably drugging the poor beast too, just to keep but it lethargic. It's a, and it's a lovely, it. cute, fluffy cat that doesn't look in the slightest bit scary but we're somehow supposed to believe that it's part of the curse which well, I, that's, that's just it i don't know that it's necessarily supposed to look scary i think it's supposed to be just kind of a portent of doom mm. well isn't it supposed to look like so that in this castle that they live in i've got things to say about the castle i'll come to that in a minute but in okay. this castle we see the family crest which appears mm-hmm. to just be some kind of very weird thing to have as a family crest it's kind like of a, a dragon, a dragon vampire thing, and I was wondering yeah. whether they tried to pick a cat that looked as close as possible to that. Oh, I, I don't, don't know. know. I do I love know. the name of the place, though. The, the name of this castle, Dragonstone. Yes, it's like they've been watching Game of Thrones. <laughs> um, Decades before it was written. Yes. Now this castle, right? There is no way that anybody involved in this film has ever been to Scotland. <laughs> this, I've been to castles in Scotland, and they do not look like this. And ah, <laughs> yes. Yeah, this what? is the most European-looking castle. It's really funny that they. I, I don't see the point. Why did they set it in Scotland? It bears no. There's no bearing on the plot, 
um, they, they call uh, Luciano Pigozzi's character Angus, and they they throw in some uh, some bagpipes in a funeral. It's like they're desperately trying to make us believe this really is Scotland, but <laughs> the castle is just one that they shot in just outside of Rome. It, like, it doesn't look. There's nothing Scottish about this film at all. But the name of the family, it's McGreef. Come on, man, McGreef. Yes, I know. I noticed the large gap between yeah. the M A C and the G. McGreef. I mean, nobody's got a Scottish accent either presumably oh, no that's not true there are is, fully three are characters all uh, of them servants who have scottish oh, accents okay well in only was, but those are the only three you mentioned uh, luciano pagosi oh really uh, and then also oh, okay. the cook the the lady cook See, and the yeah. uh, butler this is because i only watched it with the italian dub but i thought they could have made they could have made an effort in the italian dub to uh, do italian and scottish <laughs> well yeah this is true but uh well, of course presumably um I mean, Jane Birkin was British, but then you've mm-hmm. got also French cast in there, German cast, Italian cast. I don't think there's anybody in there who's actually Scottish. Uh, oh, no. In, I, in I, 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 if there is anyone cast in this movie who's actually Scottish, yeah. it is completely by accident. Maybe the, maybe the gorilla was Scottish. So. <laughs> maybe the man in the gorilla? Who the yeah. hell knows? But Whatever poor thought, sucker they glued into that. Yeah. I just I, I I saw in the credits that it was based on a book, which kind of surprised me. But I just wonder whether that's why, because the book is Scottish. But um, uh, no, that that could be. Yeah, there there didn't seem to be any point at all in making this set in Scotland. It could have been exactly the same film, but set in Rome. And uh, I guess it's just a perhaps it's just an example of trying. They were trying to. Um, suppress the Italian origins a little bit of the film because it even says I think Anthony M. Dawson as director um, yeah and then with Jane Birkin and Serge Gainsbourg they're, they're trying to make this appear to be a more international or a more American English kind of film which the Italians did do occasionally they would set films in other places and make you believe I mean obviously there are Jallo there's a Jallo film set in Australia, for example, and yeah. there are Poliziotesky films set in London, so it's not unheard of. But I, it just it amused me greatly that they would bother at all when the castle doesn't look <laughs> at all Scottish. Well, uh, let's let's talk a little bit about the the story because there's a there's a lot of meat on this bone. Mm. Um, what what we have here is there's we a have, lot of red think? herrings on that plate. <laughs> yes, exactly. Just tons <laughs> of them. Uh, the movie the movie begins uh, with Jane Birkin's character, uh, Karinga. Uh, she's a young woman who uh, is returning from school. She's joining her mother, who is visiting uh, other family members at uh, the castle Dragonstone. Karinga's mother is there. She does not like to be there. She's visit she's vi- she's visiting the family there for for various various reasons. Uh, one of which it appears she's been uh, requested to come there by uh, Lady Mary McGreef, the the uh, the uh, matriarch of the 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 family. There turns out the, the as the story goes along, it, it, one of the reasons is she's looking to try to kind of uh, put 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 the put the touch on uh, Karinga's mother because they're they're having some money problems there at Dragonstone, and. Um, well, there, although the the details of that are never explained, it doesn't take a lot of uh, it doesn't take a lot of mental processing to realize uh, that this this the the period setting for this 
is uh, roughly the Victorian era, and uh, they mention at one point publication of Freud's uh, first uh, Freud's book on uh, psychoanalysis, which was mm-hmm. published in 1899. So we're looking at this being the early 1900s. So we're talking Victorian era. See, Most I'm of the sure clothing. I thought that I was I was getting quite confused about when we were actually supposed to be because I'm sure somebody talked about using the phone at some point or somebody right, right. may. And I, I, I don't know, or maybe I imagine that, but... Uh, no, 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 they, they, they do. They and do, so that, okay. that definitely places this in the early 1900s. Yeah. Um, like I say, the, that, that, that Interpretation of Dreams was published first in 1899, so that puts us in the early 1900s for this story. Uh, it doesn't explain the kind of flapper clothing that Jane Birkin wears, which seems to be about a decade and a half, <laughs> a little too yeah. early. Uh, but the... Um, the uh, McGreef clan here at the castle, we, we quickly establish that um, Karinga has shown up uh, and she's she hides the fact that uh, the reason she's a little early, she got out of school a little early, is because she got kicked out. Um, so she's uh, she's not exactly a, a, an upstanding citizen, although she's, she's not a, a, a nasty or mean person. She's just, uh, shall we say, a young woman... In search of uh, in search of things that she probably shouldn't be in search of, a little too rambunctious, possibly. Um, what do you What do you think of uh, Jane Birkin as an actress? Oh, she's great. I think. I think um, she's ve- I think she's very good in this. She, and this yeah. this is the movie that this was the movie that years ago introduced me to her. I have to admit. Right. Yeah. I mean, she's yeah. She's um, she's had a very interesting career, obviously, with uh, to, you know best known perhaps for being with. Serge Gainsbourg so I thought that was quite cool that he turned up in this one as well mm-hmm. um, but yeah I mean she seems too good for this movie if I'm honest I was kind of <laughs> like I just watching it thinking what are you doing in this film well I, um, I'm assuming she's having a pretty good time but yeah she's getting paid to have a holiday in Rome um, but she looked great I mean the bits when she's going into the the secret passageways and she's holding the candle and she's like the perfect gothic heroine in distress kind of look yeah no she's she is great and um i've always liked her whatever you know whenever i've seen her and stuff um but yeah i just couldn't help but feeling that it was a little bit weird to find her popping up in a film like this but uh i always thought of her as more a little bit more of an, an artiste if you like i mean you know she did some some she did some very interesting films in her earlier days and yeah. then to, to kind of pop up in something like this. But then again, you know, she's young, she needs to work, she'll go where the money is, and she'll obviously, I'm assuming that she got the part first, and then Serge Gainsbourg wanted to come too, so they put a part in for him. Uh, I'm well, assuming yeah, and, and he, he's... He's actually pretty effective in the film as well. Yeah. In, the, in the in the little you know policeman role that he has, the detective role. Yeah. Um, I do they, I do wonder if they had to uh, to to like have a talk with him and make sure that he wasn't completely dressing like Sherlock Holmes, but <laughs> he does seem to be trying to move in that direction pretty hard. Um, yeah, but he's. Um, I mean, it's interesting. He popped up in um, so about ten years earlier. He was in the film Samson. The um, peplum film there's a mm. there's a scene towards the end of that where he gets pushed into a river full of crocodiles so uh, which is quite fun so yes yeah, so it was interesting <laughs> to see him just occasionally turn up in films kind of almost randomly like oh 
Serge Gainsbourg, you know, <laughs> like unexpectedly, um, because he was primarily he was a musician and a raconteur and a famous. Um, he was more famous for his personality than for his performing. So kind of uh, famous for being famous to it. Yeah, degree. and obviously he's done some great film soundtracks and things over the years. And uh, Je T'aime, perhaps the most famous of all yeah. of his songs. So yeah. So I, anyway, so I assumed Jane Birkin got the part. He wanted to have a little holiday in Rome, so they put him in as a uh, as a as a detective. Who I'm not quite sure. He doesn't really seem to do much detecting. He just he turns up after other people have worked out what's going on. But then that's well, until they're at the until they're at the end when uh, you know the Lord McGree Lord James McGreef is is uh, try, is is going come this way I'll I'll, show, I'll I'll take you to the murderer I'll show you yeah. who it is and and he he basically goes look I've already worked that out I already know yeah <laughs> which I th- which I thought was funny Which, because that's that that is exactly what I would want in a giallo and this of course isn't kind yeah. of a standard giallo which is keep as much of the police procedural stuff off screen because yeah. what we're really interested in in a giallo in general is watching the amateurs try to figure crap out, the ones who are actively in danger. <laughs> but it's like, yeah, I already know who it is. I'm just going to let him kill one more person first. That's, it seems to be the... He's like, yeah, I'm not in any hurry. I'm going to let him terrorize uh, Jane Birkin a bit more first and maybe kill her. I'll come yeah, along. Yeah. I want to no hear hurry. her scream just a little bit more. Yeah, yeah. there's no hurry. So, yeah. <laughs> well, uh this this film throws in uh, enough elements for probably at least two movies. So we have I mentioned Lord James McGreef, who's played by uh, Hiram Keller, who uh, is without a doubt the most attractive person in the movie. Mm. Uh, I, I'm I'm sorry, but he is. He's 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 a beautiful person. And uh, Jane Birkin is a pretty lady. Uh, don't get me wrong. Uh, and uh, the the lovely actress who plays Suzanne is uh, quite quite the uh, the fetching young lady. Uh, sexy in all her ways, but uh, my God, uh, Hiram or Hiram Keller, playing Lord James McGreef, is—he's uh, dreamy. He's so yeah. beautiful. I, I didn't realize he was American. I thought he was Italian, but no, he's a—he's an American actor. Mm-hmm. But he's bit, bit, best, bit of a shock. Known. Yeah, he's best known for his Italian films because obviously he was in Satyricon a few years earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, he's got quite the set of cheekbones. He looks very, very Byron-esque, I think, in his portrayal, especially the sort of either sort of Byron or uh, Mister Rochester. He's got that kind of doomed, gothic hero about him. You know, yeah. he lives in a castle. He may be mad, or maybe he's the only sane one here, kind of thing. He's got that look about him. Um, he might be a dashing hero. He might have sex with his sister. We were just not quite sure which one. Well, it's a cousin. She's, it's, but, it's, she's a cousin, so yeah, it's, case, you know, it's, yeah. it's not as de- it's not as deadly. <laughs> it's, it's not it's as just, deadly in, as you usually get in a gothic, where yeah, it's brother and sister, yes, going yeah, at he's each got other. That, got that look about him, but yeah, no, he's very good, very um, charismatic. <laughs> well, uh, I lo- uh, we we get another gothic trope here, which is the the young, handsome uh, Lord McGreef. Uh, is is supposed to be insane, and we find out uh, without too much trouble that it has something to do with some childhood trauma in which it appears that he was responsible for the killing of his own sister. And uh, that that's a thread that the the movie plays out a, a little bit over the time as we uh, as we eventually learn that that wasn't true at all. Mm. And so the supposed madness of this character 
uh, has has kind of been used in a in a, in a pretty nasty way to, to to turn this guy into a bitter, angry guy. Yeah. Uh, and we never I do, quite I do. find out, do we? Do we find out why? I mean, we we know we find out that his mum. This is all some plot of his mother's to cover up the truth, but. I don't yeah, but apparently she was the one responsible. Yeah. Somehow she was responsible for the for the death and, of her daughter. But we don't and, find out why what happened. And we don't do we find out what happened to her husband? Like, no, no, no. The husband is never brought up. No, so there's a kind of extra layers of family mystery that we never quite get to the bottom of here. Mm-hmm. And of course they layer in another kind of odd bit of information here. Which uh, ha- which ends up being something that starts to occupy the mind of poor little Karinga here, Jane Birkin's character, which is the idea that there's this legend about the family that anyone in the family murdered by another member of the family will come back as a vampire, mm. which is extremely ex- extremely specific. Yeah. It's like you know, it's like <laughs> so you want to gather the entire family in a room and go. Don't anybody kill anybody yeah. else in this room, but right? It, it, nobody. It makes, it makes you think about what has what their family history been that that <laughs> yes. has been able to develop as a legend. You know, this has obviously happened more than once. <laughs> so, yes, if, you, if we go back a couple of hundred years, apparently there's been a lot of brother-on-brother violence to the point of death. So we want to try to find a way to create something that would keep this from being a problem in the future. Ah yes, probably. And then, but there's uh, probably. an extra there's an extra layer to that, which is that if the cat jumps on the coffin on its way to the crypt, then that means they're definitely a vampire. Yeah, that's that's seen as a that's seen as a sign that this that this is uh, so this that, is again, actually happening. Yeah, this this is a, a complex set of circumstances that have to come together to prove that there's a vampire involved somehow. So you've or, got to uh, have a relative uh, kill a relative. You've got to make sure there's a cat in the vicinity well no no the cat isn't the cat doesn't make it happen the cat well, no. is just uh, just it's an indicator sign. that you need yeah. to be aware that it's it, that it's in motion here we need to the cat the cat is attempting to uh yeah. I, I kind of like the idea of the the, the cat this this whole bullshit <laughs> this whole bullshit uh uh family story and uh inter- interweaved with the the cat thing which appears to be some kind of you know folk uh folk tale from that's just a more generalized thing and so you know you you have the you have the death in the family happen and no one knows who it is so oh my god was it another family member mm. and then the cat hops up on the the top of the the coffin and is like oh my god it had to be it is clearly the murderer was a member of the family because look the cat got on top of there oh my god what are we yes. going to do it's either that or somebody spilt some cream on the coffin just before it was <laughs> or, or sprinkled sprinkled some some tuna juice on yeah. top yes one or the other <laughs> and uh, the the cat gets um gets sealed in I, you might get to this bit but i thought it was interesting when get come back to what we were saying before about poe is yeah. um because the cat appears to be able to tell somehow it's, it's tied in with this legend that the they they seal the cat into the crypt and mm-hmm. so you've got this moment of the cat sort of sitting in there not looking that bothered but meowing about it and that's of course another reference back to poe with um with a cat being sealed up to to hide a crime which i thought was interesting I do enjoy. Uh, I enjoy uh, being able to spot, you know, bits and pieces of Poe in things like this. Anytime you're doing a gothic, 
and you you just you know you layer in just some little bitty thing, even if it's just a, a brief reference, something that you'd have to really be paying attention to to kind of to kind of get. Sometimes it'll be a character name, or sometimes it'll be you know some kind of odd little bit of business. That uh, the, you know, the more you know about Poe's stories, then you might you might catch it here or there. I've seen I've seen some uh, some subtle things in different movies, and and I think that it's fun. But sometimes when you just lean on it pretty hard in a movie like this, I also am kind of happy about it because the the idea being that uh, I was for years kind of resistant to calling this movie a a giallo because for me, to my mind, a giallo is generally set in contemporary times, modern day, uh, and uh, having one that tries to combine giallo with gothic was something that my mind resisted for a long period of time. Not that I didn't enjoy the film, but when thinking about this movie, I always wanted to call it a gothic more than yeah. a giallo because, well, you know, the settings, the the, the, the time period, the, uh, you know, man in a gorilla suit, you know, come on, how many how many giallos have a man in a gorilla suit? Let's be honest. Not, not enough, right? Yeah. <laughs> the... Uh, the, the 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 elements of this movie that I enjoy when I enjoy most elements of this movie because I think it's it's kind of a deliriously fun thing that uh, uh, let's put it this way uh, th- this is a beautiful movie to look at it's colorful it's widescreen uh, Margariti is using every square inch of the uh, the widescreen image in this. Uh, the color schemes are gorgeous. The use of uh, colored gels and lighting. They, they, we've got they've got a couple of those uh, uh, those lamps that have you know the the uh, the, uh, the coverings of the lamps have different uh, shaded glass within them, and so depending on how the the uh, the lamp is turned, you get a different color spread across people's yeah, faces. That's a that's a really good excuse to to introduce Barva style lighting exactly. to some and it, it, it works it, really well. It, yeah, and it looks great. Uh, there's, mm. the, you know, you have, you know, you have the perfect gothic setting. You're in a castle, Scottish or not. And you have, you know, the the catacombs down below. The movie starts with the first murder, which the movie then ignores for a long period of time. Which actually, if you're a, if you're the the kind of film film goer who's paying attention to these things, you're like, well, is, why, why is nobody talking about the dead person down in the down in the yeah. Uh, down in the catacombs, down in the cellars, and of course that plays directly into the the entire plot line. It's it's there for a reason, mm. and uh, the uh, I think that it probably. But let, let's let's ask this question. Um, in a lot of cases, people like to, to with a murder mystery. Let's say they like to uh, either play along and try to figure it out for themselves. Or if you're like me, sometimes you do that, and sometimes you're just more interested in 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 watching how all the pieces fit together, and not necessarily trying to race ahead of the plot line. Uh, in this case, this is a movie where uh, at different points of the movie, almost everyone is under suspicion, except except Jane Birkin's character. That's for sure. She's she's the she's the one person that we're, we can be sure uh, is not uh, taking a razor blade to anybody's throat. Well. I mean, you say that, but I I got to the point where I started to think maybe it's her because maybe it's Karinga, which incidentally Karinga is not a Scottish name. But anyway, um, I mean, I don't even know if that's a real name from anywhere. I've never heard that name. That's before. a fine but, point. Uh, I hadn't thought about it. Yeah, Karinga becomes the only. I started to think she's the only person who could do it. You oh, know, like well. what the, 
Well, I just quite often with Jallo, it turns out to be the person you would least suspect, you know, or, or they want you to think it's the, the person you wouldn't suspect. And that's why in the end I thought, well, maybe it is <laughs> as well, just because <laughs> she hasn't done anything suspicious. It might be one of those, maybe she's mad and she's doing this all blah, 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 you know, the family curse or whatever. I don't know, because she, she was having nightmares about her mum coming back as a vampire and stuff. And maybe, I don't know, I just... When there's so many red herrings, I just start to suspect everybody by the end. <laughs> well, uh, how about uh, what, the, the imagery in this movie, those nightmares that she has of her mother coming back as this pale-faced vampire mm. creature. My God, those are those are absolutely stunning segments. And they, they yeah. you know, this is years and years before any, anybody would start thinking about this, but it looks like it could be perfectly placed within uh, a music video. It's, incre- mm. it's incredible. Yeah. It also reminded me, again, going back to Barva, of some of the stuff in um, in Black Sabbath, like the oh, yeah. the the is it the dripping the dripping water mm-hmm. section, or the, the section with Boris Karloff with the vampires. It reminded me a little bit of that as well. There's definitely there seems to be that kind of gothic feel to it. Um, maybe that's because of the lighting as well. I don't know, but but yeah, I felt like. Of all the Margarisi films I've seen, uh, this felt like his most Barva-like film in terms of the the shooting style and the lighting, not the plotting, so much as the visual look of it. But but yeah, and of course, most '80s music videos look like they were shot by Barva as well. So perhaps that's why. <laughs> yeah, the, the 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 color schemes and the and the and the uh, the the visual the look. Eyes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, lots of fake fog, lots of exactly, yeah. exactly, exactly. The um, um, let, let's put it this way: I don't think it was possible to have figured out who the murderer was at all in this movie. I think that this movie, no. it's not that the movie doesn't play straight with you; it's that um, it, the movie does not give you. Uh, pieces of information other than the fact that there is a dead body that nobody's talking about until two thirds of the way through the film. Now, are we going to spoil it? Are we going to reveal who it was? Um, I think we probably should because I, I always love okay. to talk about this aspect of these kinds of stories. So folks, we are about to talk about who the actual murderer is. Okay. Well, cause I was going to say that if you've seen enough Jallo, actually when you find out who the killer is, it makes perfect sense. Exactly because there are numerous films which came probably came after this i think where the killer turns out to be a priest mm-hmm. like that's they I, as soon as that was revealed i was like oh well of course it is <laughs> but the beauty of this is the movie gets to have its cake and eat it too by the yeah. fact that he's a priest but he's a fake priest yeah that's true yeah but yeah the the the, the um the joke i've had for years and years and years with a giallo is that you know, in a giallo, it's either a woman or a priest. Those are the killers yeah. every time. <laughs> it's and um, and the fact that that's, that's going back again to this never having been anywhere near Scotland. It amused me that the whole thing is set up that they're kind of they're Catholics, and I was watching this thinking there aren't really many Catholics left in Scotland, particularly. Is that true? And then they 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 make a whole plot point about them being like the last Catholics in Scotland. You know, they talk about the hanging on to the true faith and that kind of thing. So again, it's like they want to be Scottish, but they also want to be very Italian. So they has to, he has the killer has to be a Catholic priest in the end, um, <laughs> which you know, I mean, obviously there are Catholics in Scotland, but it's not the prevailing religion like it is in Italy. You know? So that, um, 
that amused me. As also did the fact that I think it might even be the priest. There's a bit of dialogue where, or was it James? Somebody talks about England. They're like, here in England, blah, blah, blah. I think it's the priest. And of course, they're not in England. They're in Scotland. So like the script writer forgot which country they were supposed to be in. Or the uh, the English dubber, depending on where you're, which version yeah. of it you're thinking well, no, about. Well, no, because, I mean, in, in the Italian he does say Inglaterra. So he oh, says England okay, okay. in the in the dialogue. So it's like they forgot whether, the, the, or they just think that England and Scotland are the same place. I don't know. <laughs> um, but anyway, that amused me that, yeah, so it's a priest. So it's it's about as Italian as you can get in the end, this film. Well, despite I, its uh, pretensions of Scottishness. Just, yeah, and they are, yeah, exactly. Well, the thing about, the thing about Italian Gothics or Italian giallos, more to the point, that I've always found amusing about the the fact that so many of them turn out to either be, you know, the murderers either turn out to be a mad woman or a mad priest. And the the idea that uh, the, for Italians that those would be kind of go-to villains, go-to murderers, uh, that, that uh, it seems so obvious in such a, in such a bizarre patriarchal society wrapped so, so tightly around a particular religion that when you start talking about uh, intricate murder plots involving, you know, secretive things and hidden agendas, mm-hmm. it would almost always in Italy devolve to, well, it's either a woman or a priest. Yeah. And I think that says so much about the, the culture of Italy and the, um, the rather, uh, shall we say, man down version of society that uh it's almost always i hate to say this i love it but it's a shock when it's not a woman or a priest (laughs) uh in a giallo so i hate to say this but as uh, as soon as i start watching a a giallo that i've never seen before uh as soon as a priest pops up it's like there's a little check mark that goes off in my head it's like i'm not hunting for your 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 methodology in this i'm not trying to make sure you are or not or are not the killer but uh, you're already on the short list you know (laughs) you're already there as a possibility and as a society you know they revere the mother the mother is a very important part Mm -hmm. of you know of italian society and the family so that, that makes sense that these two kind of real pillars of italian life the priest and the mother are the ones that are often the villains in in these films i mean i just watched um who saw her die recently again for the first time and um you know and again the killer in that turns out to be a priest dressed as an old woman so you're getting double (laughs) it's a crazy old lady oh no it's a priest (laughs) (laughs) so yeah they they managed to do both in, in one go with that film Sorry, well, I've just spoiled the ending of that one to everybody as well. <laughs> true, true. Everyone forget about it. It's a good film. Sorry, Go see it yeah. and try to forget about the fact that oh, you already man, know who the George, is. George Lazenby is so thin in that film. My goodness. Oh, I know. Like, well, he's and he's also very good in the movie, if yeah. memory serves. Yeah. I think it was his first paid work since um, he quit Bond. So, like, he hasn't had a proper meal for about three years. He's so skinny. <laughs> That's well, he amazing. was he was always a skinny guy, and there's this. Uh, I, 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 what I suspect is that he was always a thin guy, and that he they they forced him to kind of beef up and and put some muscle on his bone to play Bond, and then once he once he dropped that and walked away from it, I think that he maybe it may have just gone back to his normal way of living, which allowed that all those muscles to kind of melt away, and he just looks like he probably looked long before he took the role. Mm. He does, yeah. He looks like somebody who hasn't been eating much pasta anyway. He needs more pasta. <laughs> um, but anyway yeah no so uh so yeah to come back to this what you're saying yeah the priest and the mother 
And in mm -hmm. this film, we kind of get a bit of both as well, because she is certainly a killer, even if she's not the killer. Right. Well, that's just it. It would appear. Well, here we have the, the Lady McGrief character who turns out to have been responsible for her daughter's death, you know, years before, which, you know, put, you know, in other words, you're painting a mother in a, in a horrible light, a killer of her own child. Or at least the, you know, an, we don't get the details, so one would assume that she didn't stand there and strangle her daughter. It has to have been through some kind of neglect. Mm. But the, um, the fact that she, was a, that she willingly pushed the responsibility off onto her, onto her son uh, definitely points to her being not a very good parent. So you've got the, the, the painting of a mother figure in, in a very dark light, and then... Um, you you have her as the story goes on being the main person that uh, Jane Birkin's character suspects is doing the current murders. Um, so you have this, you know, to the point where uh, she she's seen hovering over one of the bodies with a razor blade in her hand, and uh, you know that would lead any sane person to think that oh my God she is the murderer. Yeah. So the uh, the painting of these uh, of these of, the, of the, that woman in particular and uh, even her uh, her own mother before she dies in a rather um, shall we say unkind light uh, d does point to uh, how this seems to have been a kind of very Italian transgression in other words something that for an Italian audience would be seen. Uh, not as a major transgression until you, unless you get to the idea of a mother killing a child. That that seems to have been, for I mean, that would seem to be almost in any culture, kind of a, a major transgression in any kind of way of looking at things, a, a, a mother killing her child. But the idea that you cast as much suspicion onto the mother figures as possible seems like a kind of a a, a way to, to like really start like pushing a particularly red button in the mind of a lot of Italians to begin with, if not in a lot of other cultures as well, you know, kind of, Ooh, Ooh, what if it's, what if it's an evil mom? What if it's this middle-aged woman who should be, who should be, uh, you know, should be thought of in reverent, what in reverent fashion and instead she's a murderess. Uh, so that just seems like another little element that often gets folded into these things to kind of put uh, a sense of unease into the, to the viewer from, from the beginning. And, and I, I wouldn't call I, I wouldn't call it a cheap way to establish that kind of thing, but it, because it's always, it always seems to be built effectively into most giallos when you have a, a character who is uh, under suspicion, whether they turn out to be a red herring or not. Yeah. No, it's, it's interesting the way that the, that the whole sort of family dynamic, this sort of crumbling family, the family are dying, yeah, the yeah. family are falling apart that's matched with the castle. The castle is also crumbling. And well, they say that it's old and it's crumbling and they keep calling it a dump. But, you know, to me, it looked great. I'd move in. Oh, I, 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 I think it looks fantastic. And I, I think didn't that... look like a dump to me, but they keep calling it this dump. And they, the idea is that, again, coming back to Poe and, and the House of Usher, that the family is, is crumbling as the house is crumbling. There's that kind of connection there. Well, I think the the financial problems that they are apparently having are the things that I think seem to be pushing people into thinking, you know, into disliking the place because the the the, the financial problems, uh, which uh, are the are you know are the reasons why there's some kind of you know tension between the two sisters, the 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 lady you know Lady McGrief and uh, Karinga's mom in the first place, and that the, you know 
there's this uh, this she's Karinga's mom is is trying really hard to get Lady McGreef to just sell Dragonstone to get away from it and to get away from the you know the financial burden of it, pointing out that if she sold the place she could live incredibly comfortably in London and have mm-hmm. absolutely no trouble. And um, she's just unwilling to do that for various reasons, and it all you know it all tends to, to to go back to the whole idea of you know the you know the family you know family pride and and the hanging on to of this stuff, which of course ends up being if you, if you think about it, the the poor woman who gets killed is making the most rational statement yeah. about what should happen <laughs> to these characters, which is you should sell this place and get the hell away from here. Yeah. Uh, and and these people would still be you know to to be blunt not only would that lady who makes the suggestion still be alive but almost all of them would still be alive everybody who gets yeah. killed would be done it would it would be over so and I still don't I'm not still sure I fully understand the reason for the murders in the end because we're it's kind of set up inheritance it's because it's, it's inheritance uh, with so many red herrings there are so many potential reasons why people are getting killed off that I started to lose the thread. A little bit, but in the end, it just comes down to yeah, kill everyone off and be the last. Oh well, come on, man! You, didn't, you, don't, you don't remember all the details of that that uh, that end of Psycho information dump that we get from yeah. the guys. He quickly <laughs> just, changes from his priestly robes to just normal clothing, yeah. so that we uh, so that we you know we we get this very, very straight visual as he explains himself changing clothes about how this whole thing is about inheritance. How yeah. if he kills off the entire family, then he'll make the appearance. He'll make an appearance as that uh, that forgotten member of the family who's been in canada for years and years yeah yeah that was weird he suddenly he's like oh yeah he's supposed to be in america like that again i didn't see that coming but yeah it's like battle royale he's just got to be the last <laughs> mccreef standing to get the money or um uh-huh. or, or king ralph you know he's the last one left so he's he's he's, he's it's always it's always greed i always i anytime you that the uh anytime that the uh, the engine driving someone to commit murder is greed i find it incredibly easy to believe it just mm-hmm. makes it makes it very simple for me one thing that james said at one point in the film he said about the gorilla he said they've let the the orangutan out again and he was running around trying to find it and mm-hmm. I, we never find out like who that who <laughs> Who's letting the gorilla out? <laughs> I yeah, didn't quite yeah, exactly. understand that either. That just that whole gorilla thing seems to be um, very odd, red herring. Um, it's so it's, it's so bizarre. There's a dangerous gorilla in a cage in his bedroom that he bought from a circus, and if because you go he near killed it, somebody, because it killed somebody, going, yeah, yeah. And if you go near it, it'll grab you through the bars and kill you. But apparently, it listens to James. Um, but then he said they keep they've let it out again. I was like, who? Why? <laughs> Even if you're a psycho killer, why is how is letting the gorilla out going to help you in your plans? Um, well, that's I just it. To, to my mind, and the movie all. the movie doesn't the movie doesn't lay this out. But the the two things quickly about the gorilla. One, I don't know that necessarily anybody's letting the damn gorilla out. I think the gorilla has figured out how to get out on its own, but the, the <laughs> but the movie never, never pulls the trigger on showing yeah. us that because it's, we, it's we, got his own set of keys cut. Well, no, I think, I think that it's, I think that it's something related, r- related to being able to like fiddle with the lock in a way. But the second thing that I absolutely love about the gorilla. And one of the things that I think that the movie is, um, it's uh, kind of setting up and not completely pushing over this idea. It's not. It's setting it up, but not uh, not completely following through on, which is that James named the gorilla or orangutan or whatever we're going to call it. He named it James as well. 
So he'll call he calls the gorilla his own name, mm. and I lo- I love that because they don't also they don't t- tug the, on that thread enough. They just let it hang there for for people to think about if they want to think about it, which is that he sees himself exactly the same way as this gorilla is viewed, which is this deadly beast that has to be locked away. And he so he gives it he he calls it by his own name, and I think that's absolutely fascinating. And I and I I almost wish there was a line of dialogue in there that, that kind of really spelled that out. But yeah. I think that it's the kind of thing that you don't need to spell out. But I don't think that a lot of people watching the movie will immediately pick up on the fact that he's drawing a parallel between himself and the gorilla. I was hoping that there would be a big twist at some point, and it would turn out that it was actually just a guy in a gorilla suit. Like, like we're never going to see the gorilla and James in the room together at the same time, and it would turn out to be James. Um, that well, is, that's that's the, that's the funny thing. Uh, rewatching this on the Blu-ray was the first time uh, my my poor my poor girlfriend my poor, poor my poor Beth it was the first time she'd ever seen the movie, and so um, there, when the when the gorilla starts making its appearance, you can see it through the through the window and everything. She's kind of taken aback, and at a certain point in the first, you know. 20 minutes or so of the film she's like he's he's getting into a gorilla suit and going around scaring people right <laughs> i'm like no that is not what's happening but i understand where you're coming from yeah that would make more sense i think than having an actual gorilla in your bedroom that you call um, an orangutan and you yeah. name you name your own name yes it's very strange and not much fun for the gorilla either it has to be said and i wonder no wonder it's furious but uh, yeah, well, but as, as red a... herrings go, a killer gorilla is quite a funny one to throw in. But I think, didn't Eduardo say in the interview that his father just laughed all the time in making this film, particularly about the gorilla? And I think it was a, he said it was a key grip or somebody from the crew inside yes. the gorilla costume. And uh-huh. they, just, they just found the whole thing funny. So I suppose that, that means we should forgive them. Well, once it turns, once something like that turns up in a script and you don't immediately cut it out, you're just like, you know, we're gonna have fun. Well, I guess we're gonna have to have fun with this. Why not? So, well, tell yeah. me something. Mm. This, uh, as you're going through Antonio Margheriti's films for your blog, wh- wh- what do you think? What do you think about this one in 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 kind of relation to the other Antonio Margheriti films that you've encountered so far? Well, this that's a good question, and I wish I'd seen all of his films to be able to properly put it. In its uh, in its context, but I think you know I'm more familiar with his '60s Gothic films, mm-hmm. and it seems interesting that after having done so many different genres, that he came back to the Gothic genre in the '70s with this and with um, Web of the Spider. Is it called? Yeah, Web of the yeah, Spider, of the Spider which is yeah, and this one, and it's around the same time that Barva went back to the Gothic when he did Baron Blood. Um, after trying to do a couple of other things that were not particularly successful, I believe. Yeah. And so it, it's interesting that he's going back to that, but obviously this time it's all in colour and a uh, very different feel. And I, I would say that I do prefer those black and white films. I mean, you know, Long Hair of Death and Cast of Blood are masterpieces. And whilst I enjoyed this film, I would not say this was a masterpiece. Um, but it's fun. And it is interesting, this blend of gothic and jello sort of together um, with conf- slight confusion about what time we're actually in. Like, the, <laughs> I, I, okay, I want you to put a clip of this in the podcast if you can. There's a bit when the doc, Dr. Franz, who a character we haven't really mentioned yet, um, played by Anton Differing, he's another red herring. 
the yeah. doctor who is in a relationship with Lady McCreef, he's supposed to be he's been hired just to look after James, although he doesn't seem to be doing very much apart from talking about Freud. But he is secretly having an affair with Suzanne, the French teacher, mm-hmm. who it turns out is actually a prostitute and he is her pimp or something. But anyway, there's a bit when they're making love on a rug and there's a record playing on the uh, gramophone and the music that is coming out of that is like 70s um, Risortolani. It is not 1910s or 20s or whatever period. <laughs> oh, I've never paid be. attention to that before. That detail the, is not something. Oh, okay, I'll, I'll slap that. Have slap, a listen to that music. Now. There is no way that that is genuine. If that is genuine 10s or 20s or whenever we're supposed to be music, then I will gladly eat my hat. But that music <laughs> was just another element that totally threw me off when the hell this film is supposed to be happening. It's very funny. If you can find it, put it in. Oh, I'll, I'll, I'll put it in. I know what I'm talking about. We'll know by tomorrow morning if the inspector is going to raise any sort of fuss. He's coming here. The old lady said she'd tackle him herself. What shall I do? You just keep still. <laughs> Not a word. We'll see later. <clears throat> James or his mother turn out to be guilty, we'll have to go. But if we do, we'll be together. You're absolutely on fire tonight, my darling. excited by the blood that's been flowing around here you know very well i still keep hoping lady mary will walk in on us little slut <laughs> but i wouldn't be surprised if she did suspect something i wish you'd invite her along sometime i'd love to see you go to bed with the old man <laughs> what's she like any good at all let's not talk about corpses anymore i've had enough of them for a while what would you like to talk about then <laughs> france But um, but yeah, so there are details that make me feel like Margareti is having fun with this rather than necessarily taking the whole thing more seriously. You know, with the whole kind of cat thing that there's the Poe stuff, there's the connection with um, obviously what Argento was doing, and then everybody else wanting to put animals in the mm. titles of their films. So it's tying in with that. Um, but the gothic elements and the the dusty castle and the the cobwebs and the dead bodies in the basement goes back to uh, his earlier films. And even Naked You Die, of course, there's a whole thing there with a dead body in a basement. Um, mm-hmm. Oh, and that's another thing. They keep calling it a basement. In a Scottish castle, you wouldn't say we're going to go down to the basement. It would be a cellar at the very least. It wouldn't be a basement. <laughs> so that's just another thing that amused me. Um, so anyway, sorry, to come back to your original question, I would say that this is not one of his best of this type um but it's it is fun nevertheless and it's and it's the photography is great but in terms of the narrative and the atmosphere i would choose one of his 60s gothics you know over this 
I actually find that I enjoy this a bit more than like Long Hair of Death, but not as much as I enjoy Castle of Blood. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that this thing keeps so many bizarre elements in the air for its runtime, and it's got it. It, it is so entertaining uh, sometimes for bizarre reasons. That um, yeah, Castle, don't, don't get me wrong. In Margarita's Gothics, it's going to be Castle of Blood that comes out the winner every time. Oh, yeah. But the um, the enjoyment that I get out of this, it, it edges out the the it edges out for me Long Hair of Death because Long Hair of Death is a little less, shall we say, comprehensible at times. <laughs> and and I don't get me wrong, I that, that's part and parcel of the Gothic in a lot of ways. But the um, the fact that I can actually uh, watch this movie and follow it, and sometimes in Long Hair of Death, I'm going, okay, wait a minute, what now? What? <laughs> how are we? How did we get here? What are they doing? Yeah. Wait, uh, that that's 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 the thing for me. Uh, in general, gothics. I for for a long time I resisted color gothics because they just they seem to be a bad idea. Yeah. But the the more of them that I see as I as I as I spent time going through more and more of them that I could find, the color gothics actually it ta- it takes a lot of work to make them have the feel that black and white just automatically brings to it. But uh, when you pull it off, and I think he pulls it off here, there's so much attention to the visuals in this movie, so much use of color intelligently and in, 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 in kind of really inventive ways mm-hmm. that uh, if you do it right, a color gothic can work effectively. But oh, yeah. if you're just, you, you couldn't make a color gothic and just, you know, treat, treat color the way you would if you were shooting a police procedural. You just can't do that. It's got to be, it's got to play a part in how you're telling the story or you're just wasting your time. Yeah. So I think he succeeds very effectively on this. And like I say, I, I, I know this is an odd thing for a, for a film nut to kind of focus on, but I absolutely love the use of the widescreen and the way he tells the story in this. The, um, the attention to detail, the way the the image, the full image is constantly being filled up with detail and color and and interesting little bits and pieces of things here and there. It's a it's it's a fascinating movie to watch. Just even if you just turn the sound off and weren't paying attention to whatever story was attempting to be told, it's just a beautiful movie to look at. So yeah, and I I really enjoyed the fact that there are real bats in the cellar. Mm-hmm. It's not uh, it's not hammer style bats on a piece of string. They had real bats, which I, that always pleases me. Yeah, there's just and, there's uh, there's a lot there's a lot to enjoy in this movie, and uh, mm-hmm. I, for me, it's it's a little above mid range, uh, Margariti yeah. for me. Uh, I think it's I think it's solid. It's good. It's interesting. Uh, yeah, it's, I suppose it's the it's the supernatural thing as well in in those other films, especially obviously Castle of Blood, but even Long Hair Death. Oh yeah, they yeah. they they openly come to terms with the fact that they are supernatural tales and this film it wants you to believe it might be supernatural it might not be supernatural it might be a psycho it might not be a psycho and you know what i think whatever the ending was going to be oh it's just some guy after money i found that slightly given the possibilities that are opened up by it could be a supernatural there could be a vampire i was quite disappointed it wasn't a vampire you felt as if the rug had been pulled out from under you yeah, it's like, oh, it's just some guy and his inheritance. Like, oh, come on. Dressing up like a priest yeah, these, and playing a weirdo. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All these possibilities are set up and then they go for the easiest one to explain at the end. <laughs> I would, I th- So maybe if it had turned out to be a vampire, I would have been slightly more... I mean, don't get me wrong, I enjoyed it. It's great. But it, it just where I would place it, it's, it's, uh, 
not so high on the list as some of the others. I understand. I understand. All right. All right. Well, uh, for those of you who are unaware, um, Mr. Smith and I have uh, started a secondary podcasting venture that will become uh, it will become something that you'll hear a little bit more about uh, in the in the very near future as uh, he and I uh, venture off to talk about uh, well the first season of it as he's framing it is going to focus on Italian science fiction. So uh, and yes, that means that I will be in an in yet a third podcast on a regular basis. Uh, luckily. Mr. Smith's idea, he gets to do the editing. So, so Wild Wild Podcast will be on its way uh, with uh, Adrian Smith and I talking about uh, at least 10 science fiction films made in Italy, uh, starting in the 50s and ending in the 80s. Am I right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just, just a tips into the 80s. Uh, you know, that, that time when Italian cinema was putting out really great stuff consistently. Uh, great, 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 great in quotes. Yeah, <laughs> the, the quotes around that word, folks. Yeah, so, in all, all the books that you read, they talk about the eighties being like the death of Italian cinema. So we'll find out for ourselves. You know, but yeah, to, see, to, I was, I was, for, for, for science fiction, that's probably true. But I have to yeah, say well, that that's true. The, the more stuff that I see, strangely enough, the more stuff that I see from the late eighties and early nineties that I had never been able to see before that were that were being that was being produced by Italian uh, filmmakers, the genre stuff. Uh, there was, I mean, there wasn't nearly as much of it being produced, but I'm finding some really, some neat little gems in the late 80s and early mm-hmm. 90s. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's, 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 it's odd. I'd always considered past about 1985 to be just a complete dead zone, except for the fact that Argento was able to still produce a few films before, you know. That's true. Yeah. You know, but the, uh, it's, that does not turn out to be true. It's, it's, it, and of it's course, Italians Italians were going to Florida to make uh, things like Nightmare Beach. Yeah, exactly. That's so that's what, that's, what, that's what I'm talking about. Where things <laughs> like that, where you're just you're just thinking, well, I mean, the you know, not as much as this is being produced, but the things that are being produced are at least interesting to watch. So, mm. yeah, it'll be fun to go through. Z, I've been inspired by you because I, with a with another friend of mine, we started another podcast um, just after Christmas. Uh, called Second Features. I'll plug that one while I'm here. And I thought, well, you know, Rod has two podcasts, so maybe I should have a second one too. There we go. Why not make yourself incredibly busy? Yeah. But uh, anyway, it's all all good. It'll be fun. But yeah, I'm looking forward to that. But thank you for inviting me on today to talk about this film. And I'm excited to uh, dip in and out of, um, of Margariti's lengthy filmography. I'm sure we'll never fully get to the bottom of it, but uh, it'll be fun to... Have you got any ideas for what you want to do next time? Uh, actually, this? yes, I, I do. Um, and and this, this will be a very different film and one that I've not seen before, and I suspect that that would mean that you've probably not seen it either because it's not mm-hmm. uh, certainly not particularly well-known. Uh, w- one of the areas of Margariti's filmography that I... Uh, although I've seen a few of them, there's still, there's still a lot of room to roam there is um, some of the stuff he produced in the 80s you know, turns out to be pretty interesting, but not um, not as easy to find, not as easy to get your hands on, because mm. they're, um, I, 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 they're, they're, they're such a weird niche. Let's put it that way. Okay. There's a movie that he made called uh, Codename Wild Geese from 1984 oh, yeah. that I believe was put out on, I think I've got a DVD of it uh, that was put out uh, in England, and uh, strangely, I mean, it, it stars Lewis Collins, Lee Van Cleef, 
Ernest Borgnine, Klaus Kinski, Mimsy Farmer. So need I say more about why I want to see this movie? So That's pretty good. I have seen, I've not seen that one, but I've seen Commando Leopard. I yeah. Think. And I, I really liked which Commando was, Leopard. Yeah. Which is uh, most of the, some of the same cast. It's um, Lewis Collins mm-hmm. and Lee Van Cleef again. I think if that's the one. No, Lee Van Cleef was oh, not no, in Commando Leopard. Oh, wait a minute. Maybe it's Operation Wild Geese. I've seen them. Oh, no, I'm thinking of The Commander. That's the one. Sorry. Ah, okay. The Commander from three years later. That is Lewis Collins and Lee Van Cleef and Donald Pleasance. Um, but yeah, no, Operation Wild Geese. I haven't seen that one, but that sounds pretty good. And it's obviously a pretty great cast. So um, mm-hmm. no, I'll be excited to uh, to try that one out. Cool, cool, cool. So that would be the Marguerite film I'd like to uh, like to touch on here in the Bloody Pit uh, awesome. sometime sometime soon. Of course, it will it will all revolve around uh, what what we can uh, fit in between the Italian science fiction stuff. <laughs> <laughs> so, Adrian, thank you very much for coming on to talk about this. Thank you for having me. All right. Vampires, werewolves, zombies. Yes, these things are real. But fortunately for those of us who can afford him, so is Mark Temple. And he's good. Real good. He's a former FBI agent turned freelancer with the knowledge and skills to eliminate your monster problems. And his rates are negotiable. Monster Hunter for Hire, the first volume of the Supernatural Solutions, the Mark Temple Case Files, is now available in both ebook and paperback. Go to tinyurl.com slash monsterhuntertemple to buy your copy of Derek M. Cook's latest book. Read about Mark Temple, the experienced professional now available to rid you of your supernatural, ghoulish, and monstrous pests. That's tinyurl.com slash monsterhuntertemple. And don't worry, Mark Temple is discreet. Hi, I'm Ben from the Diecast Movie Review Podcast, which is done by myself, my sister, and my father, where the genre of the movie is decided by the cast of a die. The categories are horror, drama, comedy, action, sci-fi and fantasy, animation, and musical. Also on occasion, we'll have a special episode dedicated to conversations with creators, directors, actors involved in the production of movies. Join us and see what movie we pick next. All right. Thank you very much for tuning in to the new episode here. Uh, yeah, this is the first time I've actually gone back and covered a film I've already covered before, only with a different co-host. Uh, we won't be making a, a habit out of that. We'll be continuing forward with the Margariti films when we cover them into new territory as we uh, mapped out there at the end of our conversation. I want to thank Adrian again for coming on and uh, for inviting me to be a part of Wild Wild Podcast, which I think is going to be a lot of fun. Uh, Italian science fiction, if you want to follow along with that, uh, you could do yourself a big favor by picking up the fantastic book by Matt Blake called Science Fiction Italian Style. We're going to be kind of using it as our guide slash Bible as we go through this season of Italian science fiction films on that new podcast venture. So join us on that and uh, join us back here again on the Bloody Pit. Uh, Next episode uh, will be a returning co-host who hasn't been around for a little while. uh, He hasn't been absent for as long as Randy Fox was (laughs) when we finally got around to doing the final program. A couple episodes ago, but hey, you know, 
we do try to uh, keep a rotating crew, and uh, sometimes the, the crew doesn't rotate quite as quickly as they uh, should or could. It's, uh, it's all fate, man. It's all circumstance and the way things fall into place and sometimes don't fall into place. So thank you for listening to the show. If you want to get hold of us, the uh, email address is thebloodypit at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Any ideas, suggestions, films uh, you'd like us to cover, opinions on things we've already done, let us know. So until next time, thank you and have a great day. Stop!